Thanks for listening to our podcast. The following is a ministry of Orchard Bible Church in Centennial, Colorado. Please join us on Sunday mornings. For more details, visit us online at orchardbible.org. Today's scripture reading is from Genesis 39, 1 through 6. This is the word of God. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord had caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we bow in your holy presence today, and it is with thanksgiving in our heart that we uh, consider the greatness of our God. We think of the providential dealings of God with these people of old, people that lived so many centuries before us. And yet we see this recurring theme through Scripture of the wonderful redemption that would come through Jesus our Savior. Help us to appreciate these things, to learn from them, to apply them to our own hearts, and most of all, that the Spirit of God would stir us to be more faithful in our personal lives. And we might serve the Lord more fully and avoid temptation and seek to honor Christ. Keep us happy in the Lord, we pray. We are thankful for everyone that has come. And we ask that this time might be profitable that we spend. We ask it humbly in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we're into a very interesting passage of Scripture. Uh, Last week, we heard from Jeff Ullman, and I very much enjoyed the thought he left us with as we exited that message, that no one is beyond redemption. That chapter is a dreadful litany of Judah's failure, both morally and as a parent, and as Jeff pointed out in many other ways, and yet at the end of the chapter, he repented, and I really enjoyed thinking about what he raised at the end of his message this week as I was pondering what he said. Even though Judah is such a dreadful example of what sin can do in a person's life, he repented, and God was able to use this man again. Remember, it was Judah that suggested they sell Joseph to the Ishmaelites in the first place. But we will see Judah re-enter the stage, come later in this story, when the brothers are terrified before Pharaoh and before Joseph. And it's Judah that steps up, not the others. It's Judah that steps up and says, I will be surety for Benjamin. He's the one. 
And isn't it wonderful what God can do with us who are just poor sinners? We're unable to serve him acceptably. We often fail. And yet God is able to take weak vessels and use us for his glory. I think that's absolutely wonderful. And it thrills our hearts as we think about what God can do. And so that little intermission with Judah was interesting. But now we return to the story which we picked up at the end of chapter 37. Joseph is sold to the Ishmaelites. As you can see by the title of today's message, I intend to follow the outline fairly closely in your bulletin, Joseph's Victory Over Temptation. Now, the primary thrust of the chapter, by the way, is not the temptation, I don't believe. The primary thrust of the chapter is suffering, unjust suffering. That's what really is before us. And yet we can learn a great deal from how Joseph reacted to the situation in which he found himself. So the first point in your bulletin is, the Lord was with him. And you notice in the three verses that I just mentioned in the bulletin, that the Lord's presence was with Joseph no matter what the circumstance was. And as we experience the Lord in our lives, really you might ask yourself, well, what do I mean by the Lord was with him, or perhaps with us? Really it's very simple. It's the heightening of his reality in our lives. James chapter 4 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Psalm 145 says, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. And then a really nice verse is Psalm 21. You make glad with the joy of your presence. I would like to ask you today, do you feel and experience the awesome power of God in your life. Now Joseph did, independent of the circumstance, whether he was prospering as a business manager or whether he was in the dungeon, he experienced the Lord's presence. In fact, it became even more dear and the love more richly expressed in the darkness of the prison house. We read repeatedly in this chapter, the Lord was with him. Even Potiphar, this Egyptian commander, saw in verse 3 that the Lord was with him. He recognized that. God can't be with someone without it making a difference in their lives. And that certainly is true in our case. For the Christian who's born again and indwelt by the Holy Spirit, they can experience the wonderful reality of the Lord being with us. And what does this assurance give us? It gives us many things, joy, protection, fulfillment, courage, and victory. How is that to be accomplished in our lives? Now in the Old Testament, we know that the Lord came at certain times and in certain ways upon select individuals that he and his providential dealings with men and in his sovereignty He came upon certain individuals and their lives reflected his presence with them. Enoch walked with God. He enjoyed the Lord's presence continually. How is that to be accomplished with us as New Testament Christians? Just a couple of quick suggestions. Stay daily in the word. Feed the spiritual man. I've often wondered about this, but just bear with my feeble illustration. Can you imagine... I look out at you all, and we all look healthy and well, and thank the Lord for that. We look good. 
let's just change the lens. What if we were able to see the spiritual people sitting here, the spiritual man, the spiritual woman? What would we look like? Would we look like skeletons? Would we look malnourished? That would be quite a different picture in some cases because people expect to be spiritual and to have victory in the Christian life. They're not reading the word. They're not, they're not getting any enjoyment out of it. They're not feeding the spiritual person. That's what we need to do is feed the spiritual man. The other thing we need to do is adopt an attitude of daily dependence on the Lord. We can't go it alone. And I'll have more to say on that momentarily. The other thing is prayer, of course. That's the powerhouse for the believer. It tells us in the scriptures to pray without ceasing. And we should continually pray that the Lord would help us, preserve us, and give us joy in the Christian life. The second point in your bulletin is he enjoyed special blessing and success. And uh, these verses that I've mentioned in the bulletin reflect that. The Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. The King James has a slightly different translation, but it's similar. The Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. Now, often in the Old Testament, God's presence was associated with outward prosperity and blessing. Not always, but mostly. Abraham, Gideon, David would be some examples of when the Lord was with them, big things happened, and there was prosperity and material blessing. Now, let's notice a couple of things here about Joseph. What was Joseph's situation in Potiphar's house? He was bought, just like an, an article, a, an item, for a particular price, and he was a bond servant, a slave. He applied himself. He did a good job. I don't think he could complain much about the benefits or salary. He didn't have any salary. He was basically there to serve his master. He didn't really have any rights or independent wealth of his own. He was a bond servant. And the prosperity and blessing that he experienced because the Lord was with him, it overflowed and reflected and went into Potiphar's house and showed itself in the business results that Joseph had. Just a side note here, it's, I would just mention to you, even though Joseph was a slave, he worked hard. He served his master faithfully. He served him as if he was serving God. That's very important. People wonder why they don't get ahead in life, why they don't prosper even, even materially or in their, in their job. Oftentimes it's because they're not applying themselves. They're not working hard. They're just looking for the next opportunity to get ahead. Whereas if one faithfully serves the Lord, leave the results to him. And oftentimes those things will look after themselves. But the prosperity that came to these men, Potiphar and then later to the jailer, uh, really didn't directly flow into Joseph, although there were some side benefits, of course. These blessings came to the people for whom he was working or serving. I think there's a lesson for us, and we know from the New Testament that because we live for the Lord, because we seek to honor him, we seek to enjoy his presence with us, the prosperity we enjoy may not be what we think is prosperity. In fact, it's often very interesting. If you look through life's experience as you get older, you look back in your life to something that happened when you were younger. 
and it was exactly the opposite of what you wanted at the time. It was not, you were disappointed, you were, you were discouraged perhaps that the Lord didn't answer the prayer that you had the way you wanted it answered. And then when you look back on it, with the passage of time, you begin to realize, ah, now I see why that happened the way it did. Because the Lord's providential dealing knew what was best for me. And so just don't be discouraged. Sometimes uh, this uh, whole idea of prosperity, spiritual prosperity and blessing is quite different from what people normally think of material things. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, and often that's the opposite of prosperity. Now, the other thing I'd like to mention is he enjoyed special blessing and success in his life. And this, my thoughts went to Isaiah 53, because there's a verse there that says, concerning Messiah, the perfect servant of Jehovah, the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Did Joseph please his master? Yes, he did. Did Jesus please the Father? Yes, he did, perfectly. And so Joseph is a beautiful picture to us, a foretelling of, uh, of the Messiah that would come and the wonderful work that he would do as his work prospered in sinlessness before the Father. He completely satisfied the righteous claims of God's justice. I'm really happy that Jesus Christ was prosperous because he did the work for me. And I re just rejoice in that great and wonderful things. In fact, John chapter 8 says, I always do these things that please him. Let's move to point number three now, his reaction to temptation. And we're going to read just a few more verses. Verse 7 in the chapter um, and after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. Now, Potiphar's wife, you can see in these verses, was attracted to Joseph. And it says he was handsome in form and appearance. She wanted to start an affair with him. She asked him to sleep with her, have an intimate sexual relationship. We do not know why, perhaps it's not even profitable to speculate, why she did this. Was it just purely the physical attraction? There's been all kinds of things written that Potiphar was a eunuch and so on and so forth, and therefore she was not fulfilled. I really don't think that's very profitable in the light of the overall context of the passage. All we know is she made a pass at Joseph, not just once, but repeatedly. So what was Joseph's reaction? In verse 8 and 9 that we've read, Joseph was definite. It says in verse 8, verse eight he refused her advances. I remember when I was with the, one of the part-time teachers with the discipleship training intern program in California, um, Bill McDonald, William McDonald, who wrote the Bible commentaries, both New and Old Testaments and many other books. 
Uh, we really enjoyed having him come as a speaker. In fact, he was one of the founders of the program many years earlier. And Bill McDonald was talking to the young men that were there as part of their training about this very issue about sin that besets us. And I'll never forget the way he expressed it, which kind of struck me very forcibly. He said, just say no. Just say no. We must take resolute action. Resolve to be obedient no matter what our inclination might be. Just say no. And I thought that was very interesting. Don't sit on the fence. Be definitive. James chapter 4 says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. When we waffle and we don't take a firm stand, we set ourselves up for failure. Remember Daniel in chapter 1? He resolved that he wouldn't defile himself with the king's meat or with the wine that he drank. He took resolute action right out front. He didn't waver. That's the way it should be. That should be what happens in our lives when temptation comes. Maybe you just remember this. Just say no. Just say no. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who has written many excellent books, said something about the Christian dealing with temptation that I thought was very interesting. And I'm just going to read just a little bit of what he said. You've probably been exposed to teaching about sanctification, suggesting that believers ought to be totally passive in their quest for victory over sin and simply trust God to take the evil desire or temptation out of the way. The idea is that since human effort is fleshly and our efforts are always flawed and imperfect anyway, we should just go and let God do his work. He said something that really makes you think. I do not know of a single scripture and I speak advisedly, which tells me to take my sin, the particular thing that gets me down to God in prayer, and ask him to deliver me from it, and then trust in faith that he will. Now that teaching is often put just like this. You must say to a man that is constantly defeated by a particular sin, I think your only hope is to take it to Christ, and Christ will take it from you. And certainly there is truth to some degree in that statement. Don't get me wrong. But what does Scripture say in Ephesians 4.28? to the man who finds himself constantly guilty of stealing, to a man who sees something he likes and takes it. What am I to tell such a man? Am I to say, take that sin to Christ and ask him to deliver you? No, what the apostle says is, let him that stole steal no more. In other words, just say no. Stop doing it. And if it's fornication, adultery, lustful thoughts, Again, Paul says, stop doing it. So I just thought that would be helpful in no way to minimize the thought that we should go to God in prayer for help and assistance, certainly. But primarily, there is a, what I'm trying to get across in this point this morning is that we have a responsibility. You have a role to play. And you can't just passively let back, let temptation flood over you, and continue to put yourself on the path of temptation and do nothing. You have to take definitive action, as Brother Bill McDonald said. Let's go to point number four in the outline, respect for his master's trust and reverential fear of God. Now, uh, Joseph gives Potiphar's wife, in verse 8 and 9, two reasons why he refused her advances. He can't betray his master's trust, number one, and number two, he fears God and does not want to sin against him. Now, when we trust someone, we believe that they will honor their commitments, 
and be dependable. And that trust is built up over time. Potiphar gave Joseph more and more responsibility over time. And even as a slave, Joseph feels the weight of that responsibility. But you think of when people be betray trust, and many of us who might be a little older have seen this in real life. A drug addict will betray those closest to them because of the power of addiction. A husband will betray the trust of his wife when he has an affair because of the overwhelming power of lust. A businessman will start to siphon off funds for himself because of the overwhelming power of greed. We need to be careful that we don't betray trust. That's a critical thing. And the second thing is, he feared God and did not want to sin against God. This is a very important thing. Proverbs 28 says, Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. So fearing God is contrasted with having a hard, unperceptive heart. Now our God is powerful, he's sovereign, he's majestic. We enjoy his majesty, yes, in the peace and calm of sins forgiven, but we also fear the Lord because of who he is. I would say it this way, the fear of God is an acute feeling of personal insufficiency in the presence of God the Almighty. Certainly Isaiah felt this in Isaiah chapter 6. Woe is me, for I am a man undone, a man of unclean lips. When he saw the Lord high and lifted up, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple before him. He is the creator, the ultimate judge of every work, whether it be good or bad. That should strike fear into our hearts. I think it's a preservative. The fear of the Lord is a preservative. A strong motivation for the Christian to flee from sin. Joseph says, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Proverbs tells us in chapter 9, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So for our own lives, I'd just like to leave you with this. Don't betray trust. It takes years to get it back, maybe never. Secondly, fear the Lord. Uh, you know, in our, our modern culture, do you not feel sometimes that we've really watered down who God is? We look at God through how we'd like to see him, and we forget who he really is, the awesome, in his infinitude, the almighty God, the one who created heaven and earth, the universe, the whole creation. And here we are, poor mortals, fallen creatures, and he's come to us. We should fear before him. He is the Almighty One. I think sometimes that fear, having gone, or perhaps being watered down so much, causes us not to tremble as we should in the presence of one who is so powerful and mighty. So it was good to see that Joseph made these two statements regarding his master and about the fear of the Lord. Now, the other thing I want you to notice, and I'll just do this very quickly, is Joseph called this potential action a sin. 
a sin. In today's world, everything is watered down. You don't say a person has pride anymore. You know what they say? They have strong self-esteem. That's a totally different connotation. You don't say a person, a person is covetous. They're just trying to get ahead. You don't call it moral perversion or the violation of God's order between the normal relationship between a man and a woman. Now they call it an alternative lifestyle. What do they call adultery? It's a cry for help in a bad marriage. This is what happens. We're watering down what God has condemned and called sin. But Joseph outright, just up front, calls it a sin. How can I do this great sin against God? So we need as believers to call out sin in our lives and resist all the external influences that sanitize these actions and make them seem, ah, everybody else is doing them, it's not important, let's just water it down. It's not really that, that, that big an issue. God will overlook it. We're lulled into a sense of complacency right where Satan wants us. Satan is very crafty. You know what he does first, and just forgive me for speaking fairly plainly, First of all, he puts all kinds of thoughts in your mind that justify sinful things. My case is unique, and it would be good for me to find love and affection from somewhere else. As Jeff said last week, my wife is a little distant lately, so this gives me the license to do this. If you don't do this, the internal stresses that are building up in me is not good for me. What you're thinking of doing is so minor, no one will know anyway. This is, this is how the devil talks to us right? Minimize the sin. Minimize it. But then once you sin, the tables flip. And Satan plays on the remorse and guilt. As your conscience bothers you that I should not have done that, I yielded and I should not have done this, you're not a genuine Christian. If you were, you wouldn't do that. God's not going to forgive you. You know why? Because you did it willfully. You just stepped out with your own volition and did that. It wasn't a mistake. You did it deliberately. So God's not going to forgive you. That's what the devil does. He's so crafty. And I just warn you that we need to be like Joseph did. Have a reverential fear of God. Call sin what it is. And seek by his grace to fend off the wiles of the devil. Now point number five is a very critical point. Maybe the most important point in my outline. He didn't put himself in the path of further temptation. Verse 10, it says, as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. Joseph made every effort to avoid further temptation. This is an important point, and to this point, I would like to give you a slight diversion. I would like to go to the Lord's Prayer. In the Lord's Prayer, um, Charles Spurgeon, who has many excellent things to write, didn't come up with this. It's not his originally, but he got it from someone else, and it was so good that he put it in his material and said, this is just so wonderful. I thought it was too. It was the Lord's Prayer. And he kind of summarized things with very short statements. For example, our Father which art in heaven, that's a child away from home. Hallowed be thy name, that's a worshiper. Thy kingdom come, that's a subject. 
Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the words of a servant. Give us this day our daily bread. That's a beggar, someone totally dependent. And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. That's a sinner. Here's the important one now. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's a sinner in danger of being a greater sinner still. That's the point I'm trying to make. We're asking God to not allow the temptation to take us in, to overpower us, deliver us from evil. Sometimes, you know, we like to be tempted without falling into the sin. That's very dangerous thinking for a Christian. We love, I shouldn't say we love, perhaps we would like to be propositioned. It's good for the ego, right? Builds us up, right? Kind of makes us desire a little more of that. But you know, that's very dangerous for the Christian. Joseph did the opposite. If we don't want to sin, then don't keep going back to the place of temptation. More, much more could be said about temptation. God doesn't tempt us to sin. That would be acting against his, his holy nature, against his desire for us to be holy like he's holy. But there are certain circumstances in life says the Spirit led the Lord up into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. The temptation was from the devil, but there are, we face temptation almost at every turn of various kinds and descriptions. And life is full of trials, tests, and temptations. And what we need to, 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 to recognize is that we need to pray, as this Lord's Prayer tells us, lead us not into temptation. Take us down a different aisle. Take us down a different path. Lord, help us so that we don't fall into the temptation and it doesn't overwhelm us. There was a person having trouble with drink, drunkard, alcoholic. And so he went to the minister to see if he could get a little help with this. And uh, he said, I, I just can't help it. I just keep going into the bar when I go by. Well, the minister said, but the bar's not on the way home for you, where you walk. You know, he said, I know, but I like to walk around that way. Well, there's the problem, right? If he's taking a detour to go past the open bar, sees his friends in there, smells the smells, he's back into it again. So we need to be careful. We need to stay away from that which would cause us to put ourselves in the path of temptation. Let's read verse 11, 12 now. Verse 11 in the passage, but one day when he went into the house to do his work, this is Joseph, and none of the men of the house were there in the house, she caught him by his garment, saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out of the house. Better to lose your coat than your good conscience, isn't it? This is the second time he's lost his coat. First time the coat was dipped in blood. And his poor father grieved, thinking he was dead. Now he leaves his coat because he's trying to flee away from that which would cause him to do evil and sin. Timothy is exhorted by Paul in the New Testament to flee youthful lust or passions and pursue righteousness. So our, the idea is to aggressively move away from evil and toward that which is righteous. Uh, we just finished our study of 1 Corinthians in chapter 6. Paul admonishes the Corinthian believers to flee from sexual immorality. Notice that word flee. Don't hang around flee. We should do the same and in the battle against sensual sin 
There's no victory except in absolute flight. Get away fast and stay away. There's some sins that you can work with and perhaps work with in the sense that you can use uh, rationale and so on that could cause you to uh, protect yourself to some degree. But this is a sin where you're safer if you fly. And that's what happens. Free from pollution only when you refuse to entertain the thought of it. And secure when you seek victory by getting away from it. Someone said, you stay there, you think about it, you reason, you let the devil put other thoughts into your mind. First thing you know, you're going to be ruined. So that's what will happen. So how true it is when we think about our culture today, when we're bombarded by a society that glorifies sexual gratification and promotes through Hollywood and the internet every kind of sexual immorality imaginable. If you don't flee from these things, you're going to reap, reap in your life bitterness and heartbreak. You know what you'll have? Betrayed trust. You'll have broken relationships and you'll have a guilty conscience. So flee from evil. This will help us in our Christian walk. Number seven in the outline is he suffered wrongfully. Verse 13, if we just read a couple more verses here, verse 13, and as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of the household and said to them, see, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to lie to me, to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got him out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. And she asked, and she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you've brought among us came in to me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. Now, the false report that Potiphar's wife gave both to the men of the house and to her husband Potiphar must have been most distressing to Joseph. We're not said what, he, what his response was. Yeah, I'm sure he must have said something, but we're not saying that he said, or it's not recorded that he said anything in his own defense. Interesting when you think about this foretelling, the coming one, the Messiah, Jesus our Savior. Again, in Isaiah 53, he says, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Herod questioned Jesus extensively after his apprehension. What's it tell us? Jesus gave him no answer. Pilate, Matthew 27, don't you hear how many things that they're witnessing against you? But he answered him to never a word. It says, insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. Why was that? Because Jesus was about to take the place of sinners in condemnation and death. How wonderful that is to think of Joseph not saying anything in his defense, but no doubt feeling so grieved in his heart. To hear, you know, I've worked so hard, I've tried to be faithful to the Lord who is with me, and now this circumstance has befallen me. Potiphar was very angry, as we know, put 
Joseph in the king's prison. If we look at verse 19, as soon as the master heard the words that his wife spake to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled, and Joseph's master took him and put him in the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love. Isn't that nice? Showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it to succeed. Joseph gets put in the king's prison. This was no coincidence or afterthought. It appears from chapter 40 that the prison that Potiphar managed, because he was the captain of the guard, the secret service, the people that were the security detail for the pharaoh, it appears that this prison was either on the property or adjacent to it, part of the complex that Potiphar managed. It's interesting that Joseph is put into that place because you can imagine Joseph's feeling, I'm now put into prison. I'm suffering wrongfully for being faithful to the Lord. You know, sometimes this happens to us. When we seek to serve the Lord, bad things happen. And we say, why, Lord? I'm trying to be faithful. I'm trying to serve you. Ah, but there's a higher, there's a higher purpose. There's a providential dealing of God here that is so interesting. Because if he hadn't been there, the other king's attendants, the butler and the baker, would not have been in his presence. He wouldn't have heard their frustration over what these dreams meant. This put him in line, put him in position for coming exaltation. And I think it's so wonderful that Joseph at the time would think, this is dreadful, this is awful. Sometimes in our lives, we get to a certain place and we say, this is awful. Lord, I'm totally confused. I'm trying to do, serve you, and this happens to me. But you know, later, when he's on the throne, not on the throne, but adjacent to it with Pharaoh, and he's ruler, governor of the whole land, looking back on it, what would he say then? Ah, this was the Lord dealing in a way which I did not expect. Do you call this prosperity? No. People would say, this is, this is terrible. This is the worst thing to have happened to someone who was righteous, was honest, and yet was falsely accused. What must the thoughts been in the Savior's heart when he went to the cross and took our place, falsely accused? No answer, no rebuttal, no retribution to those who ridiculed him. And here he is, the Lord of glory, the omnipotent Son of Almighty God, and he steps into the place of substitution for us. This should cause our hearts to rejoice. And if you're not saved today, if you don't know him as Savior, if the Lord is not with you, you don't feel his presence in your life, you need to get your sins forgiven by coming to the Almighty God and trusting in his son Jesus who died at the cross for you and paid the price for sin. He suffered wrongfully for me. Jesus did. He suffered wrongfully for you. And now we step into the good of the blessing of sins forgiven. I trust that you will think about that even today. So Joseph ends up in the prison. Now, it's kind of interesting to me that why didn't Potiphar kill him? 
wouldn't you, I mean, he's the most powerful guy and he's running the whole security apparatus. He could have just done away with Joseph. Okay, that's it. You're out of here. And I don't want to see you again. In fact, we're going to execute you. Perhaps Potiphar was not totally convinced that his wife was telling the truth. Could be. Could very well be. In any case, Joseph ends up there. Another dungeon, another pit. He's in the first one when his brothers throw him in the one that wasn't any water in, remember? And that's what they hauled him out of to send him off with the Ishmaelites. Now he's in another pit, in a dungeon. And we know it's a pit because chapter 41 tells us that when Pharaoh called for him, it says they took him out of the pit. So he was also in a dungeon. Joseph ends up in the lowest place. Made me think when I was studying this and thinking about it, meditating on it. Psalm 69. Prophetically speaking of Messiah, he sank in the deep mire where there is no standing. I have come into the deep water where the floods overflow me. You know, that's what the love that Christ had for us, to sink in that mire of God's wrath and righteous indignation against our sin which was laid on him. The floods overflowed him. Why? So that we could have full and free salvation. What a wonderful thing. Sometimes we suffer for doing what is right. The, first, the New Testament tells us this very clearly in 1 Peter chapter 3. It is better to suffer for doing good than if, if that should be God's will than for doing evil. But there's a wonderful comfort that I noted in verse 21. The Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love. It's very important to remember in the midst of trials and suffering, the Lord is with us. God is just as much present with his saints when they are suffering as when they are prospering and having great success. The other thing is righteous living does not always bring about material blessing and better circumstances. Often it brings difficulty, affliction, and persecution. The last point in your bulletin, number eight, is the place of affliction set the stage for coming exaltation. Now, Joseph couldn't see the future, and little did he know that he would soon leave the darkness of the prison and be elevated to the pinnacle of power in Egypt. And the stage was being set, the pieces were being moved around for a glorious exaltation. You ever thought about this? It's, it's such a blessing, such a blessing, that we cannot see the future. Can you imagine if we could see the future? We would be just tied in knots with anxiety, anticipation, with dreading and foreboding, perhaps, times, perhaps at times with joy and ex excitement over something we know is going to happen that's going to be good. But what about those bad things? What about the times of difficulty and affliction? If we knew exactly when they were to come and how severe they would be, oh, we would be just in a mess. It's a good thing we don't know the future. But God sees everything. God is in control. The pieces are being moved on the chessboard. And Joseph is being set up to leave this place where people despised him as a Hebrew, that that same Hebrew would be the governor of the land and would save the nation. It was through his foresight, through his dependence on God, and through God revealing to him what to do concerning the famine to come, that Joseph became the savior 
of those Egyptian people. Just so, Jesus Christ. He sank into suffering and sorrow for us, but soon would throw off the shackles of death and rise victorious. Concerning his obedience and dying on the cross, therefore God has also highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name. Take courage, fellow Christian. The sufferings we experience today will give way to exaltation and glory. So we don't lose heart. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. I like the King James better, I have to be honest. A far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. That's beautiful. Fellow Christian, be, be encouraged. In spite of temptations, sometimes we fail. If we take to heart what we see in Joseph's life, we can say with confidence, the crowning day is coming by and by. Just a side note to this as we close this morning. I wonder what Potiphar's wife thought down the road when Joseph became number two in the land. She must have kept a very low profile. Nothing, nothing is recorded. There are some historical things that have been written that speculate a little bit about that, but I don't really think we can't rely on those as being totally accurate as to what happened to either Potiphar or his wife. But my, what a turning of the tables when God highly exalted Joseph. Hopefully, there was a, a forgiveness there which would be in character with the beautiful type that Joseph is of Jesus, our Savior. So I trust that these thoughts will help us flee temptation, honor God, and seek to serve him more acceptably. If you could just stand with me, please, as we close in prayer. Father, we are so grateful for Joseph, this beautiful illustration to us of how to live a life in service to the Lord, acknowledging his presence with us and seeking to flee from temptation and those things in our lives that would drag us down. Help us to be more faithful to you, to avoid temptation, and to just uh, do what is right. Lead us in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Father, we, uh, we just pray that our lives might be changed that we might be more faithful and that the fear of the Lord would uh, captivate us, fill our hearts and cause us to rejoice that not only um, he is our savior, but he is our guide. He is the one before whom we will stand someday as the God of all the universe who would judge right and wrong. And at that day we will be able to stand because we stand in Christ. He is the one who has forgiven us. We give thanks, ask your blessing upon us now, part us with your blessing, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.